0: Chapter Eleven Part Three of the Many Sided Franklin by Paul Lester Ford. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Chapter Eleven Politician and Diplomat. Part Three. There has been much discussion as to whether Franklin acted honorably in transmitting these letters, which might have been saved had his own simple statement been properly weighed the letters were shown him by a personal friend a member of parliament whom quote, i am not at present permitted to name end quote, but who franklin asserts was a gentleman of character and distinction this colony agent deeming it quote, my duty to give my constituents intelligence of such importance to their affairs end quote, finally won from this friend the privilege of sending the letters to the massachusetts leaders it is clear therefore that he had no reason to believe that they had been wrongfully obtained or that his friend had not the right to allow him to transmit them on the contrary franklin declared that he came by them honorably if blame there is it must rest on this still unknown man and franklin bearing all the vituperation which was heaped upon him was but sacrificing himself to shield another the probabilities favor the view that this was William Straham, whose position as printer to the king made it necessary that his share should remain unknown. Wedderburn's attack was, with the facts at his disposal, wholly unjustifiable, and would have been without weight but for the circumstances which produced it, for his speech was in truth but the expression, Franklin says, of a court clamor raised against me as an incendiary, and the decrying and the vilifying of the people of that country, and me as their agent among the rest, was quite a court measure. End quote. His assertions are proved by the conduct of the Privy Council. For without even a pretense of judging the cause before them, during Wedderburn's speech, quote, all the members of the Council, the President himself, Lord Dower not excepted, frequently laughed outright. End quote. Another eye witness states that he made them so far forget themselves and the character in which they officiated as to cry out hear him hear him and franklin speaks of their frequently breaking into applause one of the ablest lawyers of the period and one fitted to hold the scales impartially in his account of the trial, said, quote, I had the grievous mortifications to hear Mr. Wedderburn wandering from the proper question before their lordships, who are forth such a torrent of virulent abuse on Dr. Franklin as never before took place within the compass of my knowledge of judicial proceedings, his reproaches appearing to me incompatible with the principles of law, truth, justice, propriety, and humanity, End quote franklin took this attack calmly but none the less it stung him deeply however bitterly he felt personally he still though further injured by being deprived of his office of joint deputy postmaster-general strove to bring about some agreement i long labored in england he asserted later with great zeal and sincerity to prevent the breach that has happened and which is now so wide that no endeavors of mine can possibly heal it you know the treatment I met with from that imprudent court, but I keep a separate account of private injuries which I may forgive, and I do not think it right to mix them with public affairs. End quote with lord chatham who sent for him he discussed the possibility of reconciling the two countries and was present by his invitation when the earl made his motion in the house of lords for the withdrawal of the troops from boston and again when he submitted a plan of conciliation indeed franklin was charged in the ensuing debate with being the author of it nor did he limit his efforts to those in opposition but brought into relation with lord howe the chosen instrument of the ministry already ashamed of the treatment accorded him by the earl's sister mrs howe with whom he played at chess he did his utmost to reach some common ground of agreement howe promised to grant franklin if he would but secure the pacification of the colonies any reward in the power of the government to bestow a promise which franklin said was to him what the french vulgarly called spitting in the soup but not taking offence he agreed that if lord howe received the appointment of commissioner to america and the propositions to that country were such as met his approval he would gladly go as his secretary he even guaranteed quote, without any instruction to warrant my so doing or assurance that i should be reimbursed or my conduct approved end quote, that the tea should be paid for if the colonies were but granted justice quote, an engagement in which i must have risked my whole fortune quote. all these negotiations came to nothing however and when at last convinced that it was but a waste of time he took ship for america the abuse and persecution the ministry had heaped upon franklin had not merely restored his former popularity in america but had enormously added to it he was quickly elected to the continental congress to the pennsylvania assembly and to the pennsylvania convention congress appointed him postmaster general and a member of many important committees pennsylvania made him chairman of the committee of safety which was practically the governorship of the colony and the convention chose him for their president my time, he wrote a friend, was never more fully employed. In the morning at six I am at the Committee of Safety, appointed by the Assembly to put the province in a state of defense, which committee holds till near nine when I am at the Congress, and that sits till four in the afternoon. How Franklin avoided, so far as possible, any share in the drafting of the public papers of the Congress has been told already. Nor was he more forward in debate. It was poor Richard who remarked, Quote, here comes the orator with his flood of words and his drop of reason and during his whole life franklin was no speechmaker. i served jefferson said with general washington in the legislature of virginia before the revolution and during it with dr franklin in congress i never heard either of them speak ten minutes at a time nor to any but the main point which was to decide the question they laid their shoulders to the great points, knowing that the little ones would follow of themselves. End quote. Franklin himself bears this out by saying that quote, I was but a bad speaker, never eloquent, subject to much hesitation in my choice of words, hardly correct in language, and yet I generally carried my points. End quote. John Adams, in one of his periodic outbursts against the man whom the public deemed greater than himself, contrasted his own services in Congress, in which he claimed to have been quote, active and alert in every branch of business, both in the House and on committees, constantly proposing measures, supporting those I approved when moved by others, opposing such as I disapproved, discussing and arguing on every question, end quote, with those of Franklin, who was seen. Adams says, from day to day sitting in silence a great part of the time fast asleep in his chair. End quote. Yet Franklin was appointed on every important committee, and Adams on few, and the sage, could he but have read his brother congressman's comparison, might fairly have retorted, with the wisdom of poor Richard, quote, He that speaks much is much mistaken, or the worst wheel of the cart makes the most noise. End quote however little franklin may have seemed to have accomplished to those who elected to think so one service he attempted is not to be passed over as he had been among the first to suggest a union of the colonies under great britain so he was foremost in advocating their immediate union in their contest with the mother country and long before the majority of Congress saw the wisdom of the purpose, or were even willing to consider it, he drafted and laid before that body his Articles of Confederation, the first true step toward a national union. In the politics of Pennsylvania, too, he wielded a most dominating influence, for it was chiefly through his exertions that the old Penn Charter was abrogated, and a new Republican Constitution obtained in its stead in the effecting of this change too he succeeded in finally crushing the propriety or aristocratic party which had fought him with such bitterness for over twenty years so that never again did it recover its influence in the state a blow the leading families never forgave and the resentment of which expresses itself socially even to this day in philadelphia vital as were his labors in local politics in the congress in canada at cambridge and at staten island he was more needed and in fact seems to have been preordained by nature and training for another service once the war from being an attempt to wrest rights from an acknowledged sovereign became a conflict to maintain independence the new formed country turned for assistance to france then the great enemy of britain almost alone of the congressman franklin had travelled in that country and had both friends and repute there even more important, however, was the fact that already semi-approaches had been made to him by those in authority. Years before, when the excitement over the new doctrine of colonial taxation was sounding a warning which the British people would not hear, there were others quick to heed the murmur of discontent and complaint, and to recognize in it a means for injuring their foe as they had never yet been able to do but if the times were ripening the colony agent was not yet ready to part with old lamps for new ones du guerchy the french ambassador is gone home franklin relates and monsieur durand is left minister plenipotentiary he is extremely curious to inform himself in the affairs of america pretends to have a great esteem for me on account of the abilities shown in my examination has desired to have all my political writings invited me to dine with him was very inquisitive treated me with great civility makes me visits and etc I fancy that intriguing nation would like very well to meddle on occasion and blow up the coals between Britain and her colonies, but I hope we shall give them no opportunity." Not quite ten years after this was written, Franklin was sailing across the Atlantic, one of three commissioners sent to beg the aid of France, and to an English friend who chided him for disloyalty, Franklin replied, I was fond to a folly of our British connections, and it was with infinite regret that I saw the necessity you would force us into of breaking it. But the extreme cruelty with which we have been treated has now extinguished every thought of returning to it, and separated us for ever. You have thereby lost limbs that will never grow again." End quote it has been said of franklin by the historian of american diplomacy that he must be considered the one true diplomat america has ever produced and when his services and the circumstances under which they were rendered are weighed the statement seems justifiable almost from the moment of his arrival in paris he came to exercise an influence with the french ministry which can hardly be exaggerated the reiterated charge of his enemies was that he was the tool of France and always acted in her interests, but his successor in office, Jefferson, who was of all men the best fitted to know the truth of this, asserted, quote, "'As to the charge of subservience to France, two years of my own service with him at Paris, daily visits, and the most friendly and confidential conversation, convinced me that it had not a shadow of foundation.' He possessed the confidence of that government in the highest degree, insomuch that it may truly be said that they were more under his influence than he under theirs. The fact is that his temper was so amiable and conciliatory, his conduct so rational, never urging impossibilities, or even things unreasonably inconvenient to them, in short so moderate and attentive to their difficulties, as well as our own, that what his enemies called subservience I saw was only that reasonable disposition which, sensible that advantages are not all to be on one's own side, yielding what is just and liberal, is the more certain of obtaining liberality and justice. Mutual confidence produces, of course, mutual influence, and this was all which subsisted between Dr. Franklin and the government of France." this individual opinion all the documentary evidence goes to reinforce and it is impossible in studying it not to conclude that the opposition to and attacks upon franklin by his own countrymen were due primarily to the dislike and jealousy of his fellow-commissioners lee and adams who unable to compete with him in france were driven to raise a cabal against him in america composed of almost the identical elements which endeavored to bring about the removal of washington from the command of the armies and which successfully wrought the political ruin of john dickinson and robert morris dr franklin jefferson long after said had many political enemies as every character must which with decision enough to have opinions has energy and talent to give them effect on the feelings of the adversary opinion these enmities were chiefly in pennsylvania and massachusetts in the former they were merely of the proprietary party in the latter they did not commence till the revolution and then sprung chiefly from personal animosities which spreading by little and little became at length of some extent dr lee was his principal calumniator a man of much malignity who besides enlisting his whole family in the same hostility was enabled as the agent of massachusetts with the british government to infuse it into that state with considerable effect mr izard the doctor's enemy also but from a pecuniary transaction never countenanced these charges against him mr j silas dean mr lawrence his colleagues also Ever maintained toward him unlimited confidence and respect. End quote. Strangely enough, Franklin was saved from his countrymen by the intervention of France. Very early in the mission, the Ministry of that country deliberately took the step of ignoring Franklin's fellow-commissioners, and again and again, in granting aids, stipulated to him that Lee and Adams should know nothing, and so Franklin was forced repeatedly, in writing to Congress, to tell them that, quote, the other commissioners are not acquainted with this proposition as yet, I being expressly enjoined not to communicate it to any other person, not even to the other gentlemen, it was not strange under these circumstances that his fellow commissioners united in abusing him lee complained that quote, if dr franklin's jealousy and intolerant spirit together with the artifices successively employed had not incapacitated the other from serving their country and the common cause by their advice and information End quote. Many imaginary ills would not have come to pass, and Adams asserted that Vergenese made Franklin his confidant only because he could manage him as he pleased. Their fellow commissioner took all their abuse and plotting calmly, and one anecdote will serve to show how little it moved him. Quote mr z adams while at paris had often pressed the doctor to communicate with him his several negotiations with the court of france which the doctor avoided as decently as he could at length he received from mr z adams a very intemperate letter he folded it up and put it into a pigeon-hole the second third and so forth on to the fifth or sixth he received and disposed of in the same way Finding no answer could be obtained by letter, Mr. Z. Adams paid him a personal visit, and gave a loose to all the warmth of which he was susceptible. The doctor replied, I can no more answer this conversation than the several impatient letters you have written me, taking them down from the pigeonhole, Call on me when you are cool and good-humoured, and I will justify myself to you." End quote. Dr. Lee's accusation of Captain Landis for insanity, wrote Franklin, was probably well founded, as in my opinion would have been the same accusation if it had been brought by Landis against Lee, for though neither of them are permanently mad, they are both so at times, and the insanity of the latter is the most mischievous." End quote of Adams, franklin said the extravagant and violent language held here by a public person in public company which have a tendency to diminish the union with france are here and i hope there in america imputed to the true cause a disorder in the brain which though not constant has its fits too frequent whether it was jealousy or insanity, the time came when, practically, the public business had come to a standstill, and, convinced of this, Franklin offered to resign. But the French government interfered and, through their American envoy, secured the recall of Franklin's rivals and the election of Franklin as the sole minister to France. "'The Congress have done me the honor,' Franklin said." to refuse accepting my resignation, and insist on my continuing in their service till the peace. I must therefore buckle again to business, and thank God that my health and spirits are of late improved. I fancy it may have been a double mortification to those enemies you have mentioned to me that I should ask as a favor what they hoped to vex me by taking from me, and that I should nevertheless be continued.' But this sort of consideration should never influence our conduct. We ought always to do what appears best to be done without much regarding what others may think of it. I call this continuance as honor, and I really esteem it to be a greater than my first appointment when I consider that all the interests of my enemies united with my own request were not sufficient to prevent it. End quote an interesting feature of these years of negotiation were the indirect overtures made franklin by the british ministry though george the third was convinced that hatred of this country is the constant object of franklin's mind he yet thought it quote, proper to keep open the channel of intercourse with that insidious man End quote. And through David Hartley and other informal agents, he endeavored to negotiate an arrangement which should regain at least a nominal sovereignty over the colonies, and by ending the war with them, enable England quote, to avenge the faithless and insolent conduct of France. End quote but franklin held that the true political interest of america consists in observing and fulfilling with the greatest exactitude the engagements of our alliance with france and behaving at the same time towards england so as not entirely to extinguish her hopes of a reconciliation and so he refused to play false to an ally or consider reunion with great britain on any terms you may please yourselves and your children, he told one of these negotiators, with the rattle of your right to govern us, as long as you have done with that of your king's being king of France, without giving us the least concern, if you do not attempt to exercise it. That this pretended right is indisputable, as you say, we utterly deny. Your parliament never had a right to govern us, and your king has forfeited it by his bloody tyranny." End quote the english seemed not to know either how to continue the war or to make peace with us he told washington even after yorktown but finally a treaty was concluded and his work done he returned homeward writing to the englishman who had striven most for peace the following farewell Quote, i cannot quit the coasts of europe without taking leave of my ever-dear friend mr hartley we were long fellow-labourers in the best of all works the work of peace i leave you still in the field but having finished my day's task i am going home to go to bed wish me a good night's rest as i do you a pleasant evening this hope for a rest was but elusive no sooner had he landed at philadelphia than quote, the two parties in the assembly and council the constitutionists and the anti-constitutionists joined in requesting my service as counselor and afterward in electing me as president of seventy-four members in council and assembly who voted by ballot, there was in my first election but one negative besides my own. End quote. I had, on my return, some right, he acknowledged to a friend, to expect repose, and it was my intention to avoid all public business. But I had not firmness enough to resist the unanimous desire of my country folks, and I find myself harnessed again in their service for another year they engross the prime of my life, they have eaten my flesh, and seem resolved now to pick my bones. It is poetically appropriate that his last public service was performed in the Federal Convention, and that no man in that body contributed more to bring about the lasting union of the states of which he had been among the earliest suggestors, and for which he had worked so unceasingly. His closing remarks— whilst the last members were signing form a fitting end to his own career dr franklin looking toward the president's chair at the back of which a rising sun happened to be painted observed to a few members near him that painters had found it difficult to distinguish in their art the rising from the setting sun I have, he said, often and often, in the course of the session, and the vicissitudes of my hopes and fears as to its issue, looked at that behind the President, without being able to tell whether it was rising or setting. But now, at length, I have the happiness to know that it is a rising and not a setting sun." End, End of chapter 11. Franklin as Politician and Diplomat